But ultimately, people coming on your show, they seem to care about people and they want people to do better with their lives, right? What should the human exhibit look like when you go, when, like, let's say you <laughs> went to the zoo and there's a human exhibit? Should we be these, like, frail, uh, you know, little tiny creatures? I mean, there's no free rides. If you right. want to eat something sweet, you're going to pay for it one way or the yeah. other. Now, here's how you test for this. Okay, and you can do this at home. Don't drink chlorinated water. It messes the microbiome. Don't drink, you know. don't drink Splenda or use Splenda, which is chlorinated sugar. You are listening to the Optimal Performance Podcast. The OPP is brought to you by Natural Stacks, makers of 100% natural and open source supplements designed to help you live optimal. For more information on how to build optimal mental and physical performance into your life, Keep listening to the OPP or visit naturalstacks.com. Ryan Muncy is probably the smartest guy I know. Trust me, Muncy is the nutrition guy. Ryan Muncy's out there trying to make the world better for all of us. The Optimal Performance Podcast is bold, edgy, creative, entertaining, and epic. Ryan Muncy is my go-to guy. Ryan Muncy is the first guy I call. He's making people's lives better. Ryan Muncy's an innovator. All right. Happy Thursday, all you optimizers. Welcome to another episode of the OPP. Thanks for spending some time with us today. And we also want to thank our guests. We've got uh, John and Jason from fixyourgut.com. Gentlemen, thanks for hanging out with us. Thank you for having us, Ryan. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. So uh, as you guys can tell, listeners, uh, this is going to be an episode about the foods that you put into your body, uh, your digestive system, and how it impacts your overall health, your brain function, and uh, of course, your physical performance, uh, your, your energy, your well-being, your mood, all that good stuff. Uh, we're going to get into the microbiology of this with John and the biochemistry of all this with Hooper. So um, get out your textbooks or get your Google ready and... Uh, as always, we'll have links to the resources, the studies, the blog posts that we mentioned on the show. If you go to naturalstacks.com to see the blog post for this, a couple other housekeeping notes, make sure you guys go to iTunes, leave us a five-star review, let us know how much you like the show. If we read your review on the air, uh, we will hook you up with some free Natural Stacks products. Uh, and finally, if you enjoy the OPP, please share it with your friends, your family, anybody you know. Um, who will benefit from or enjoy the things that we're talking about, the things that we're doing here, because ultimately our goal is to reach and help as many people as possible uh, with the information that we're talking about here on the show. So with all that said, let's get down to it. Um, so John, Jason, you guys are the, the Fix Your Gut duo, and I want to jump right in and let's talk about some of the downsides to one of the most popular supplements around, and that is probiotics. Um, okay. Um, well, uh, a lot of people who contact me on Fix Your Gut, generally I get the, um, the people who have issues with probiotics, the ones that harm their digestive health. A lot of people you read on the internet, probiotics solved all their problems or the bee's knees. Um, you know, I took a, I took, ate some yogurt and I felt better. Or I take a probiotic supplement and I, you know, I totally fixed my digestive health. It totally turned me around and for a lot of people, sadly, that's not always the case. And most people that contact me, um, they took probiotic supplements and it either caused their digestion to get worse or new problems developed, sadly, from them taking the probiotic supplements themselves. And, you know, we can get into why exactly that is that, you know, there are a lot of pros possibly for taking probiotics in certain circumstances, but it's not a blanket that recommendation that everybody should be taking. Okay. 
Um, Hooper, anything to add to that? Yeah, we've tested quite a few probiotic products on Fix Your Gut, and I think um, a lot of them come back and they just they don't culture. So what we do is we have we research. We, we find the species that's supposed to be contained in this probiotic, right? And you can just do a quick search on that organism and you figure out what nutrients it needs to stay alive. We call that the, the minimum media state. And so we, we try to do a culture with the minimum media state. And then we have an, an additional culture we do with a maximum media state, which has more amino acids and more nutrients than it needs to grow. And most of these probiotics that come on the shelves do not culture at all. So there's a couple of possibilities. Number one, they're dead. Or there's, and, and so the results that we're getting, like from you know, the U- biome, which is a PCR test or these other tests, uh, the results we're getting are, it's like, it's just detecting like their dead bodies, you know, their, the dead shells left behind. The other possibility is that they're in the stasis form. They're, they're still in spore form and they never really come out. So what does that do for us? Well, in some cases it can cause an immunomodulation. So our immune system recognizes the dead bacteria and there are some positive adjustments that are made. But as far as changing the microbiome, um, John and I don't really believe that probiotics are the best way to do it. We think that a uh, healthy diet and prebiotics, and I noticed that you guys have uh, like a, a good prebiotic product on natural stacks, uh, that's the better way to go because then you're feeding the bacteria. You can manipulate what's growing. Well, not only bacteria, but yeast as well. You can manipulate the microorgan- uh, microbiome of your gut based on what's coming and what they're eating, you know, and, and it's a competitive environment. The strong survive and the weak die off. So you feed the, the strong ones, you know, you can manipulate that environment and you get what you want inside your gut that way. Much more effective than just, you know, eating a bunch of probiotics and then having them all die. Okay. Well, so this is one of the things that, that I've always talked to people about, you know, and we had Mark Sisson on the podcast previously and, and we briefly discussed it with him where most of the probiotic products that are on the market, just like you said, they don't actually contain what's on the label. And and one of the, one possible explanation for this is, you know, you're buying it in a refrigerated case in some instances at a health food store, but you have no idea what went on from the time it was manufactured to the time that it, that you picked it up out of that refrigerator. You know, was it stored in a state of refrigeration uh, when it was in back stock or when it was in transportation from the manufacturer to the retail store. Uh, so, so there's plenty of opportunities for those living things to, to, you know, perish. And, and as you said, not culture, uh, after you pick it up off the store. And that's assuming that it was living and a good viable product to begin with. Um, right. So- yeah, that's a big problem with a lot of these probiotic supplements is mislabeling, uh, misidentifications of strains, um, which did occur uh, quite a few times, or even contamination. You know, a lot of these probiotic supplements is what on the label is that what you're getting? Like Hooper said, is it alive? Um, you know, that, those are major issues that when people take probiotic supplements, they have problems with that. I mean, some of the studies that we have done on whether or not when people discontinue taking probiotics. The, the cultures that they get from the stool, you know, do they show the elevations of bifidobacterium or lactobacillus? And in most times they don't because as Hooper said, they are dead when you ingest them. 
they don't colonize. Right. So what happens? You have these Th1, Th2 immune modulating reactions depending on certain strains that you have taken, and that what either for a lot of people it could be positive or it could be negative depending on the state of one's immune system. For example, some probiotics elevate histamine and elevate Th2 reactions. So someone with histamine intolerance, if they take those certain probiotics, it'll make them feel very ill. Their histamine uh, intolerance um, symptoms will become worse. Their face will flush. You know, they might develop hives. They may have trouble breathing and so forth and so on. So probiotics should be considered as a type of medicine you know they should be used when warranted but this should not be a blanket statement that everybody should adjust them for their health because a lot of people do have negative reactions to probiotic supplements so you mentioned uh you know people got coming to you guys for help and and you know something like uh, somebody that's maybe sensitive to some of these things what what are some of the symptoms that that our listeners should look for and say oh man I should look at my gut for this, or I should reach out to these guys that fix your gut to, to explore possible solutions. Well, if they're having uh, histamine intolerance or TH2 upregulation, generally, you know, their symptoms are they'll have allergies, possible asthma, uh, facial flushing when they ingest probiotics, um, their throat may close up because the nesophils concentrating in the esophagus. Um, and so that's generally histamine reactions for D-lactate um, uh, her, uh, reactions that you would have from uh, lactobacillus probiotics that produce delactate. Generally, when people take those probiotic supplements, they get worsening brain fog and fatigue from upregulation of, of delactate. Um, so, generally, you would see those issues with uh, those um, probiotics. So for example, lactobacillus planetarium, which I think is an excellent uh, probiotic, is best to get it through fermented foods like sauerkraut and kimchi instead of taking a probiotic supplement in most instances. If someone has an elevated TH1 system or elevation of inf in, in inflammation, inflammatory cytokines, when they ingest lactobacillus planetarium like I did from because I had an H. pylori infection which had an elevated TH1 system, it causes me to have severe joint pain and worsening brain fog, which I akin to being a Herx reaction at the time, so I thought, but it was not. It was from elevated TH1 cytokines and inflammation, and that's why this probiotic that so many people feel great on, for me, made me feel absolutely horrible. So just to, to kind of put this into uh, maybe more of layman's terms for yes. our listeners, uh, a lot of those larger words that you're throwing out, the cytokines, uh, these are inflammatory markers or markers of inflammation. That. Correct. There are, there are immune responses that our body has. For example, Th1, when I put Th1, it's more of an inflammation type reaction and Th2 cytokines are more of a histamine type reaction right. to put it more simple, simply put in that regard. So, so there's certain probiotics that elevate Th1 and decrease Th1 and there's certain probiotics that increase Th2 and decrease Th2. Right. So I just, I want to make sure that not all of our listeners are uh, trained in molecular biology or, or biochemistry. So you know, we're, we're familiar with, oh, I put this thing in my body and now I have brain fog, but you're actually talking about what's going on yes. you know, in scientific terms. So uh, we, we see these terms a lot. Like when we talk about things uh, like curcumin, um, things that, that crush inflammation at the cellular level, it's because Correct. they're reducing these inflammation markers, which you're saying are elevated because of, you know, these things that we're putting in our body that maybe we shouldn't be. Yeah, curcumin, for example, reduces TH1 or inflammatory cytokine productions like interferon gamma and TNF-alpha. So yes, that's why people who have elevated markers for TH1, for example, and have elevated inflammation, curcumin works so well for them in, in reducing those cytokines, and that's why they feel better. So just to, again, you know, 
make it easy to understand. It, it, there are people taking probiotics. They're having an, an inflammation or inflammatory response. Yes. And the result from that is either brain fatigue or reduced energy or flushing or, you know, maybe they feel like they're having uh, a sinus infection or an yes. allergic response. And it is, I mean, that makes sense. I mean, that's a lot of times you would take an antihistamine if you have a sinus infection. Yes. Yes, you are correct, Ryan. And and also there are other symptoms that may not be related to those cytokines, like bloating, for example, if the bacteria themselves don't end up in the proper place, like, you know, SIBO, where they, you know, most probiotics that we digest, lactobacillus is usually in the upper or mid gut. It's usually hangs out in the stomach. Mm. And the duodenum, most people think our stomach is sterile. That is far from the case. Actually, there's no part of our body that's sterile, not even our brain um, from a microbiome standpoint. Um, but yes, you know, some people can get bloating if the probiotics do not reach where they're supposed to. Like most bifidobacterium, if they reach the small intestine, they can cause issues. And that's why a lot of people who have SIBO or have, you know, issues with the MMC or motility uh, regulating complex of their body, um, it, you know, they will get bloating from taking probiotic supplements. You guys have a really great blog on uh, SIBO and your website. And thank you, Ryan. That is something that I, I want to talk about if we have time later yes. on in this episode. But uh, I want to kind of circle back. You mentioned yeast uh, earlier. And I think with the conversation about gut health, we always focus, you hear bacteria, you hear good yep. bacteria, bad bacteria. <laughs> Um, I think with the exception of like Dave Asprey uh, and Bulletproof, I, I don't hear talk of, uh, and I only mention that because Hooper's wearing a Bulletproof shirt and you guys met on the Bulletproof <laughs> forums. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, and I'm a Bulletproof ambassador. So, you know, we, we all listen and are familiar with Dave talking about yes. it, but, but outside of him, I, I don't know of many people talking about it. I know you guys yeah. do on your site, but there, there's a reason for that. Okay. You know, why? I, like the thing is when, um, Okay, so there, there's a large collection of data, of, of uh, polymerase chain reaction data. It's called PCR for short, where in 2002, they started this project in, in Missouri, and they just started cataloging, like, uh, you know, DNA and RNA for bacteria. And they, they just have an enormous library of it. Now, yeast have a different type of cell wall than the bacteria do. And uh, so, and, and they're, they're a different type of life form, you know, and, and, and even the bacteria, we have a very limited understanding of it. We know about organisms called prokaryotes and prokaryotes do not have uh, a, a standard nucleus like, you know, we would think with more advanced organisms. And so it just kind of like all their guts are just kind of inside, uh, you know, inside the cell membrane and, you know, they lice open, you break open the, the, the bacteria, it splits open and all their guts just kind of spill out everywhere. Well, eukaryotes have a more defined nucleus. So their DNA and RNA are encapsulated inside the nucleus. And so we don't have a very good way of identifying them. And so, yeah, like what we know of when we're studying um, microbiology as, as it relates to the gut and to human health in general, we maybe know, man, if, if we even knew 1%. It's a, it's a of, drop in the bucket. Yeah. Well, and, and it, like you just said, I mean, the, this even comparatively with bacteria, we know more than, than yeast, but you just yep. mentioned that that cataloging really only began in 2002. So Correct. it's like, we've only known about this stuff yeah. for yeah. a few years. I mean, this is, but, yeah, and, but like, then there's like uh, the, I guess, so when we don't know something and people can take advantage of it because yep. they say, well, we don't know this. So I can, I can introduce some ideas and nobody will really challenge me. And so you hear this, this, uh, this idea of yeast overgrowth, you ever heard like the spit test? You like spit in a glass of water 
and you wait like an hour or something, <laughs> and if you start to see like little proteins dangling down, then you have candida infection and stuff. Absolute nonsense. And like, how many people would you say write in uh, about? <laughs> supposed like candida overgrowth issues and stuff like they don't know they all don't know the they time have. all yeah. the time and and it's like and most of them don't have it like it's it's most of it's not a big deal and they're like well they, they make some you know people make some conclusions and they say well you know if you take an antibiotic it'll kill bacteria and then the, the yeast will overgrow also well guess what like antibiotics um you know these these um, mycotoxins that, that we take to, you know, try to kill bacteria, they kill other stuff too. And so it just completely manipulates the biome. It kills, it will kill certain yeast that, that like the reason why antibiotics exist is because these, uh, these, these yeast try to protect their food source. Right. Yep. And you know, they, they see some food out there, you know, let's say they land on an animal dying. Well, they're going to release these toxins to ward off other yeasts, other bacteria, other animals from coming and eating their food. And, and so we found out on, on accident, well, I didn't say we, but you know, like <laughs> humanity, we found out that like, uh, you know, a scientist, he, he dropped a piece of moldy bread on, on us, on some auger and it killed everything. So Fleming. yeah, yeah. Fleming. So he, so he found out, you know, that that's kind of how we found out about it. now just taking antibiotics. Does it like wipe out all the bacteria and leave only yeast? No, that's not true at all. And it doesn't even wipe out all the bacteria. It wipes out some of the bacteria. Um, certain but, antibiotics work for gram positive and certain antibiotics work for gram negative and some are systemic. So yeah, Hooper's yeah. correct about that. So ex explain that for our listeners who may not know offhand the difference between gram negative, gram positive. Okay, so for gram-positive and gram-positive, it's pretty much the color. Okay, so there was a scientist, um, Graham, who determined whether or not if you stain a bacteria a certain way, if you stain a culture, and depending on what color it, it, it turns, it deals with the whole cell layer of the cell wall, the peptoglycan layer for gram-positive, for example, and gram-negative is more endotoxin LPS lipopolysaccharide layer. So depending on what color the stain is, um, if it has a color is depending on if it's either gram positive or gram negative. So for gram positive, for example, you get a purple stain. For gram negative, you get a pink stain. Um, so that's a gram positive, gram negative stain test to determine whether or not a bacteria is gram positive, gram negative. And it depends on their layer. Generally, when we talk about endotoxins and LPS and the cause theory of cause of disease on fix your gut a lot, you know, fix chloride, for example, and stuff like that, you know, that their layer with the LPS layer, lipopolysaccharide layer, is different than gram positive that has the peptoglycan layer. And actually, both do different immune reactions. Gram negative with their LPS endotoxin does Th1. Gram positive with their peptoglycan layer, which is similar kind of to yeast in a regard. Mm -hmm does TH2 or histamine reactions. And Hooper's correct. There's so many things that we have going on in our microbiome. We have viruses. We have archaea. Mm -hmm. We have bacteria. We have yeast. You know, And a lot of people you know, don't talk about the differences between. So I have a lot of people come to me who say, well, I think I have candida overgrowth, but every issue that they have mentioned correlates with H. pylori overgrowth of the stomach. You know, I have gastritis. My stomach hurts. I have, you know, my stomach you know, burns and stuff like that. I have acid reflux. They come to me thinking they have candida because they have a little bit of elevated yeast markers on a test, but their issues 
mainly correlate with upper gut overgrowth in the stomach. Not to say they don't have yeast overgrowth as a co-infection or, you know, that's feeding off of, you know, because we do have opportunistic infections that work together with one another. Um, you know, like, for example, H. pylori will lead to methane-dominant archaea overgrowth in the small intestine, which will cause constipation. Um, you know, but Hooper's correct. Candida is way overblown. Um, in the natural health field. I'm not saying that it's not an issue, and I have coached people and know people personally in my personal life that have issues to mold, have mold toxicity issues, have TH2 elevation, have candida overgrowth. You know, I had Tinea versicolor, um, which is a yeast overgrowth of Melissa furfur when I was a, when I was a young adult, you know, young adult. So yeah, there are people that do deal with yeast, but for a lot of it's just over, it's overblown. The internet makes candida seem like it's everything. Right. Yeah. Here's a different way to think about the gut. And, uh, you can, you know, you can catalog every single organism and try to memorize every, every microorganism, every virus, every yeast, you know, and try to figure out what it's going on. Or you can kind of look at the whole thing as sort of one unit and you can see, because really, uh, well, let's just stick with this and then I'll try to expand on it. But, but really your microbiome has, you know, a bunch of different organisms, but yep. they're all sort of working either with each other or against each other, they, and they have different genes, and those genes are expressed. And depending on what's going on in the environment, um, you have gene expression or, or you don't. And, of course, you know, everybody's heard before how important the, the gut is for the immune system. And, and a lot of people say, well, the immune system is actually – the, the gut is actually the center for the immune system. And, and John was talking a little earlier about LPS endotoxins. Well, we have, uh, you know, you know, like blood type, right? Some people are A, B, AB, positive, negative, O negative, all that kind of stuff. And so what, what makes somebody's blood different than another? And how come if, if you get a blood transfusion, it's the wrong type of blood, then, then you die? Well, and we have these markers in our blood cells, and they're made of oligosaccharides, which is sort of like a, a sugar alcohol looking thing tied to a, a protein. Um, and they're, they're different shapes. And so we have these cytokines called interleukins, which are these tiny little, uh, these tiny little proteins that are swimming around in the blood. And, and a lot of them collect around the intestines because that's sort of our first contact with the external environment. That's what we eat. That's what we drink. That's what's coming through our body. And really, uh, from, you know, the, our, from our, you know, two million year old, uh, our 200 million year old evolutionary mechanism, that was where we had the most issues was eating bad stuff and dying. So, um, we, we, we have a lot of these interleukins that are surrounding our gut. So if we have certain bacteria that mimic these, uh, that, that have these cer- certain, uh, shapes, these, uh, oligosaccharide shapes that mimic a certain uh, protein receptor, like sort of like our blood type, then it will attract certain, uh, certain interleukins like IL-6 as opposed to IL-12 and being either TH1 or TH2, certain dualities of our immune system will activate or inactivate as a result of what's there. Uh, and, and so the, the intestines, you know, things are going in and out, but as, as fluid is brought into the intestines and as, as the tight junctions, which are, you know, like the, we have the cells in our, in our immune, in our intestines. And to, if say we need water in there to flush something out, or we need, uh, we need some salt, we need some chlorine or something. The tight junctions will open up, allowing fluid to pass into the gut to help wash something out or help clean something out or whatever. But then as they close, stuff starts to come back into it. And so that's sort of where our immune system starts to see 
the, where the bacteria are. So that as, as, as stuff comes into the gut, it starts to flush back in. And, and if it happens a lot, we call that leaky gut syndrome, where uh, there, we're getting overexposure to, to the inside of our intestines. And so instead of like trying to pinpoint like, oh, I have this, I have that, look at everything that's going on and say, just pretend it's one single organism and saying like, well, if I eat this food, I get this reaction. Yep. Right. Okay. Like if I, if I eat, uh, if, you know, if I eat a bunch of, uh, uh, xylitol, for instance, which is a sugar alcohol, then I get the next morning I wake up and I feel terrible or it gives me diarrhea or, you know, like I, I get these terrible symptoms from it. So what's the deal with that? Well, uh, xylitol is, you know, it's an oligosaccharide. you know, it's, it's one of those, uh, it's a sugar alcohol. It's one of those molecules that, can be used to make LPS endotoxins. So if you eat a lot of these sugar alcohols, bacteria have an easier time of turning into something that could negatively affect you. And then, uh, you know, you get that thing. So instead of saying like, well, what bacteria do I have? What specific species is doing that? Just say, you know, well, this gene is being active and it's present. So if I want to modify that, if I want to modify that effect and I want to make actual change in my body, I need to starve that. So I need to get rid of that food source. I need to get rid of that energy source that's controlling that. I need to starve that until they die back down. And then I can reintroduce it back when that's gone and, uh, and, and keep an eye on it. But I just don't think that it's very practical, especially the, the limited knowledge that we know. I don't think it's very practical to try to, uh, you know, a, a lot of these, these uh, tests, you know, you, you get the toilet paper swab or whatever, and it comes back and it's like, Oh, I have 35% this and that. Like it, it's, it's, it's pretty impractical. Yeah. Also, I mean, and that's, that's just a snapshot too. It's like you said, I mean, maybe, maybe the day before you had some, get some bulletproof ice cream and you had a bunch of xylitol in there and and well, dude, it, and it changes so fast. Uh, It changes. Yeah. Hour to hour. It changes. I mean, you eat a meal and it changes rapidly. Yeah. If you eat. Yeah. So, uh, and, and another thing, like once a bacterium dies, especially for prokaryotes, when it, when it dies, it's lysed, which means that it spills its guts everywhere. Other bacteria can eat the guts of whatever that was and pick up genes from it and change their whole species. So you can have one set of bacteria that are now behaving like a completely different set. And and like you were talking about earlier with uh, with probiotics, like on the on the shelf, you know that if if you know if if we if we believe that these supplement companies are actually starting with what they say they are, it's say something else gets in there, it's contaminated. Well, they can have a completely different genetic makeup like that, right? So so yeah, so like these genes are they're trading genes like kids are trading Pokemon cards. You know, what I mean it's it's going crazy in the gut. Pokemon is not allowed on the optimal performance podcast. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm no. sorry. So so I want to circle back and and uh, just reiterate. So uh, you guys are taking me back to like when you got into the prokaryotes and eukaryotes. Uh, I feel like I'm in high school biology, and then <laughs> and then with the gram staining, I feel like I'm back at Clemson in all my biochem and microbiology classes. And and I wish I'd paid more attention, but I'm laughing because it's like, you know, when you're a student, you're like, oh, I'm never going to use this stuff in real life. And, you know, <laughs> now I'm, I get to podcast and do all this stuff. And I'm like, man, I actually did that stuff in college. And, um, but it's funny. So I, I, the reason I asked that question was because it, it, it the, the staining helps us identify which type of bacteria uh, those organisms are. Right. And as you were saying before that, you know, certain antibiotics kill some, but not others. And it's because, 
there are different strains and we use that staining process to identify which one is which. Hey guys, Ryan here in post-production. Uh, sorry for the interruption. I want to give you a heads up for about the next 10 minutes of this episode. Uh, we've got some, some pretty spotty internet connection, so the garbledness, for lack of a better word, that you're going to hear uh, is due to internet connection. Uh, at about the 37 minute mark, we actually kill the video and just move forward without video. So if the noise becomes too much for you to take, just skip to the 37 minute mark uh, and go forward. Uh, honestly, I don't think it's too, too terribly bad. So if you can just kind of trudge through the next 10 minutes, it's only in spots and, and places. It's not 10 minutes of continuous uh, audio issue. Uh, so with that said, we'll get back to the podcast. Yeah, they use it as a diagnostic technique okay. yes. because it, it lets us see what sort of proteins are in the. It's sort of like figuring out if they have, uh, if they're A blood type or, or O blood type. You know, I mean, it just kind of tells us what we're dealing with. And so they can try to target the antibiotics better to kill that thing instead of using. Uh, instead of using just going with like one of these uh, antibiotics like Augmin that's a little bit more uh, untargeted, you know, just widespread. Yeah, yeah, something that's that's more universal that's just killing everything. Uh, you can target a little bit better, and it and then you get less side effects from it. Correct, and you can go with more of the Th1, Th2 gram negative as more Th1 reactions. Um, you know, gram positive or more Th2 reactions generally, and you know, throwing candida into it and everything like that. You know, generally gram positive, you know, has the peptoglycan cells, for example, but you know, part of their cell wall. But you know, generally, if someone has a uh, a Th1 overgrowth, it reacts to the lipopolysaccharides. Um, it, you know, just like with Th2 reacts to the peptoglycan, and it's weird how you know yeast don't have peptoglycan, but still the similar reactions that that the body has to that is both Th2 for both yeast and gram-positive bacteria reacts. Similarity when when Hooper was talking about. Um, you know, the lock and key type thing in a reaction, just like uh, Club Ciela, for example, the, the LPS endotoxins that Club Ciela produces are similar to um, the, the mechanisms of how collagen is produced by the body. So when people have Club Ciela overgrowth and depending on of expressions of certain HLA genes, um, you know, it can either uh, the, the body can start attacking the spine, which is alkalizing spondylitis, or it can start attacking the joints, which is rheumatoid arthritis. Um, you know, so yes, there's a lot to do with, you know, how our microbiome interacts in our diet as well. You know, and that's why for a lot of people who have Club CL overgrowth, they go on a low starch diet um, to help control the symptoms because Club CL loves starch. Um, it's his favorite food where an average person, for example, you know, occasional ingestion of potato starch, resistant starch and green banana starch like that may be healthy for their microbiome. You know, it's it's always, you know, depending on the person, it's the same with probiotics, uh, you know, prebiotics themselves. There's not a blanket statement, but for most, you know, if they're healthy and it's good for their digestive system, you know, it can help improve their digestion better to use prebiotics than it would be to use probiotics in most instances. So this is something I actually wrote down when we were talking earlier, and, and I feel like reading through your site, reading through the way you guys are, are helping people and some of the, the, the analogy that, that Hooper mentioned earlier, we're looking at it as, as a, a single system in an environment. You know, I think back to biology and, and any, any ecosystem, there are many, many different living organisms and it's, it's, it's one thing and 
And uh, it actually reminds me of like that, that old, I think there's like a Native American story where, you know, we all have the good wolf and the bad wolf inside yes. of us. And which one do you feed? And I know that's more of like a mental or emotional thing, but I mean, that mm. is so true. And it kind of speaks to like the, the epigenetic uh, approach to, you know, food that, that you hear like a Dave and a, and a Mark Sisson talk about where, you know, so I, I want to know kind of how you guys would approach gut health. Uh, you know, so if prebiotics or, or if I'm sorry, if probiotics aren't the answer that most people think they are, what's what's kind of the the? I know you can't do a blanket statement to say it's hey, hard this to is do. How, yeah, but you're right. It's hard to do a blanket statement, Ryan. But I will say for most, limit gluten consumption. Um, you know, limit casein. You know, consumption within reason. You know, if you do ingest casein, try to ingest. Um, a2 instead of A1 beta casein. A1 beta casein is mainly found in the United States in our dairy products compared to A2, which is found in Europe and in Australia and New Zealand. Explain explain why that is. It's just different than the cow, the, the cow, the breeds of cow. Um, yeah, the Jersey cows are more popular over in the UK. Yep. And then what, what happened, well... I mean, this a lot of this is conjecture, but like a, 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 what prop? What the U.S. really controls its cattle industry, and so um, you don't say like to import, yeah. <laughs> so so well, like to import cows and stuff. Like we had a ban on uh, on cattle from the U.K. meat products and dairy products from the U.K. for a long time. Uh, Japan, you know, like with the Kobe beef. Like if you're eating Kobe beef in the United States, it had to be grown in California more than more than likely because we can't get it from Japan. So. Like basically, we sort of did our own cultivar version of of cattle, right? And that the uh, the A one beta casein gene is sort of what ended up. Now there are some farms that do have some A two A two, you know, because uh, it's you know it's on it's on both it's on both uh, you know it's on both halves of the chromosome. So like if you have you can have a cow with a one and a a two and make and you know make a, a blend of fifty fifty, uh, but but in any case that that's kind of where we ended up is because we we're you know when the cattle industry came through you know like the Texas area and you know the uh, Louisiana uh, Arizona New Mexico we needed cows that were um, insect resistant and heat resistant and so you think of like the Texas Longhorns you know you think of these cows with enormous uh, horns and they're kind of wiry and stuff. That's that's kind of what we had to breed to in order for them to survive. And then as we kind of like played with the with the with the breeding, eventually we got into more like the Holstein variety and the dairy cows you see like in Brenham, Texas, uh, and places you know where where Bluebell is made and all that good stuff. So uh, it, it's just it's just what happened, and and we just don't have enough outside. Uh, genetics coming in to breed to be able to reverse that and honestly like most americans don't care i mean they like right. they, they don't know about it and they don't care that it's linked to diabetes and it's linked to heart disease and uh, um and it's because the studies that we're reading say like that when you eat that particular casein it just pisses some bacteria off and they just start making more and more uh lps endotoxins and those get into our bloodstream, and then our immune system starts attacking them. Now, with these LPS endotoxins, they aren't bound like most toxins are bound. You know, like if we have a, tox a toxin in our body, usually it's oxidized, it's bound, and it's excreted through the biliary process. Well, it's not that way with LPS. So LPS tends to collect, it tends to attach itself to empty cholesterol shells. So like 
these uh, these packets, these uh, high density, low density packets come in, and they're they're depositing fat places in our body. You know, like they just open up and they supply energy to various cells, and then when they're used up, they usually come back to the liver to get a refill. Well, LPS usually connects to them, and then they can't get refilled again, and so then they end up getting positive like in our heart walls. They ended up they end up uh, messing up our liver. We get fatty, uh, you know, non-alcoholic fatty fatty liver disorder. It's it's a major problem, and some of the things where where people are like, well, what's really causing heart disease? What's really causing diabetes? They're not really looking at the gut, and there's a lot of data showing that. That is 100% a cause of heart disease. It's 100% a cause of diabetes and liver disorder and all that. And people are just ignoring it. Same thing with gluten. It's we don't digest gluten very well, just like casein. Our bodies don't break it down. And uh, and the so microbiome has to break yeah. it down if it does at all, depending on the shape of someone's microbiome. Yeah, the bacteria break it down, yep. and for a lot of them they break it down, but then it, it kind of pisses them off too. And they start creating more toxins, you know, and they start become more active. And then uh, the ones that usually aren't as active because we're eating the food and then they kind of get the leftovers in the small intestine. Well, we have SIBO, which is small intestinal bacteria overgrowth. So we're not breaking down the food fast enough for whatever reason. And then, uh, so the bacteria get ramped up because it's like, whoa, more for us to eat. And then they go crazy and, and then makes us even more toxic. And once you get to that point, it, it becomes a you know it becomes a problem because it's harder to reverse than it is to prevent. But just overall, yeah, like there's no blanket statement. We can't say like you everybody needs to do this, but like eating whole food sources, getting good exercise, getting sunlight, breathing clean air, drinking clean water. Don't drink chlorinated water. It messes the microbiome. Don't drink. You know? Don't drink Splenda or use Splenda, which is chlorinated sugar. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Elaborate, please, because we we actually we had. Um, it was Vijan. It was a couple of episodes ago when we did the uh, Alkaline Water podcast, and he talked about artificial sweeteners uh, being linked to uh, formaldehyde formation in the brain. We had a that couple would be aspartame. We had a couple of people write in, and you know they were talking specifically about Splenda and how it did not fall into that category. And you know I had that conversation privately uh, oh. in email, but I, I would love for you to elaborate uh, on that for us in the podcast. Very much so, Ryan. Yeah. With uh, with aspartame, generally, that's where the aldehyde concentration in, in the brain develops um, because it has to do with methanol uh, breakdown by the liver. Um, but as far as Splenda's effect on the body, it's chlorinated sugar. It has a very detrimental effect to the microbiome. Um, you know, there have been studies linking to Splenda worsening diabetes um, and everything, and I think that has a direct correlation with its effect on the, the microbiome possibly leading to – because, you know – most of our probiotic bacteria, like Bifidobacterium and Lactobacillus and Fecobacterium Prasinski, is very weak to chlorine. Um, you know, it's not strong, but uh, you know, your gram-negative strong bacteria like E. coli and and, and H. pylori, for example, uh, chlorine doesn't really have as uh, strong as effect as that on on them. So, you know, when you have these gram-negative L- LPS producing overgrowth in your bacteria because uh, in your gut from ingesting a lot of Splenda because you knocked out some of the good guys, you know, of course, you know, you either develop possibly on your way to developing diabetes or your diabetes uh, symptoms may worsen. Um, you know, and it's a sad when people think that Splenda is a safe alternative uh, compared to aspartame. It's not, and especially on a microbiome since it's silly. Um, you know, and even a lot of the polyols, you know, polyols are fine, you know, most of the time within moderation for most people as long as their gut's fine. But using, even using polyols as a sugar substitute can cause issues that Hooper had talked about earlier in the gut as well. You know, and it seems like mainly the safest, 
which is debatable, um, sweetener replacement for most people probably would be stevia, um, you know, in a lot of cases. And, you know, there are some others like Cooper and I are a fan of Trelios, um, you know, and it seems to be well tolerated by, for a lot of people and it can help uh, a lot with improving of sleep and stuff like that. If anybody's having hypoglycemic issues at night um, and so forth and so on. So, you know, it, it just Splenda itself, I think it's silly if anybody says it does not have any detrimental effects to the body. It does to the microbiome for sure. Yeah, I don't I don't particularly like the polyols and, and by polyols we mean like xylitol, erythritol, sorbitol. Like if it ends with all you know, like the the yeah, like any of the sugar alcohols. Um yeah, it, it's just it's not it's not uh it's not good. It's you know, it, we're we're finding out that those aren't as good because uh, you know, a company can put out a product and call it all natural sweetener because yes. technically uh, all these polyols are naturally made, you know, they, they, they're, you know, they can ferment anything. You know, they can ferment birch bark into xylitol, right? They can take a tree and cut it down and feed it to yeast and turn it into something that tastes sweet, which is incredible, but, but it's not good for your gut. It, it's really hard on your gut. And if you've ever eaten too much, you know, it's not good for your gut <laughs> because you know, it messes you up. But yeah. if you're going to, if you want to eat something sweet, eat sugar, you know, eat honey, eat something real. Don't eat artificial, you know, I know it's not artificial, it's technically natural, but it's not good for you. You know, stevia, uh, it's, it's sort of newer. We're starting to see some studies on, on, uh, you know, granted there are preliminary studies on rats and, and there's a couple of dog studies that we've seen with the, it's effect on the endocrine system. So we're seeing like a drop in natural testosterone production in dogs. Um, and so some people are even they're they're being more alarmist saying that like stevia is a, a plot to to create, you know, a, to, to handle the overpopulation issue or whatever. But I mean, there's no free rides. If you right. want to eat something sweet, you're going to pay for it one way or the yep. other. You either pay for it with the calories or you're going to pay for it another way. And calorie, you know, eating something sweet every once in a while, paying for it with the calories. Is it that big a deal? I mean, if you eat like a, tablespoon of sugar. I mean, unless you're just down in like two liters of Coke every day, um, it's not, it's not that big a deal. Even if you're on a low carb diet, you should be able to get away with at least tablespoon or two of honey a day and, and still be in ketosis. Like, uh, so I, you just don't just stay away from the artificial stuff, eat na- as natural as you can. Yep. If it's not coming from a tree or an animal or something, look at it really hard. You know, I know stevia comes from the stevia herb, um, but you know, yeah. So we got on this, uh, this thread because you guys were, were I, I kind of forced you to, to give us a blanket statement for, you know, like a, a fix your gut diet. We talked, you guys have mentioned a lot of things to, to avoid. How about things that we should include and, and try to have more of? Uh, you mentioned already one of my favorite foods, fermented vegetables. Uh, I, I tell people all the time eating sauerkraut or kimchi daily is way better than, you know, trying to supplement with probiotics. Um, Absolutely. Absolutely, yes. What other recommendations would you guys have for our listeners? Um, As long as you didn't have a histamine issue, I recommend avocados. They're a great source of nutrition as well as prebiotic fiber. Um, They feed the microbiome very well. So, you know, I would, you know, definitely suggest avocados. Um, You know, people should eat occasionally uh, healthy fats like extra virgin olive oil. Of course, you don't cook with it, but ingestive extra virgin olive oil um, is, is very healthy. Uh, source of oleic acid, um, coconut oil, uh, you know, which everybody sings its praises, but extra virgin coconut oil is good. Um, butter and ghee as a source of both butyrate, 
for the gut is a short chain fatty acid, which may help um, improve both um, the help with um, the use of insulin and uh, as well as help reduce uh, leaky gut. Um, you know, and ingestion of grass-fed meats. Um, uh, I will say that there are some things to um, that are, you know, I everybody dogs fructose as being the worst thing in the world, but occasionally ingestion of low fructose fruits that are within season, um, you know, maybe you get a you know good benefit here in the United States. You know, depending on where you live, blueberries are an excellent. A source of polyphenols for our gut bacteria, as well as as for our health, you know, for our brain health increases BDNF, um, uh, brain derived neuronal factor to help, you know, neuron growth in the brain and memory and stuff like that. And I guess finally, if I had to suggest something, uh, collagen, ingestion of collagen is both as a prebiotic for the bifidobacterium in our gut, as well as a good breakdown of amino acids. Um, that can help uh, with leaky gut as well and also help increase the diversity of your gut and keep your bifidobacterium healthy. A lot of people don't realize that collagen is a uh, prebiotic, but through the studies that we have from the Russians, bifidobacterium can assimilate and use um, collagen, and, and it does help increase uh, the levels of bifidobacterium within the colon. Nice. Um, nice. Um, well, I would be remiss if I didn't point out that uh, our protein is a two-to-one blend of grass-fed whey and collagen. So if you guys are out there looking for a source of collagen, our protein is a great source for that. And you guys mentioned trehalose as a sweetener earlier. That is a mushroom sugar that we actually use in our resistant starch complex that has the um, uh, green banana flour and fructo oligosaccharides and um, uh, potato, raw potato starch. So um, We'll put links to those on the blog post if you guys uh, want to go check those out. And uh, I actually did not prompt uh, John or Hooper uh, on those products. So uh, we're, we're kind of on the same page with some of this stuff. So, yes. um, yeah, they're good stuff. Um, yeah, the, the trailos, uh, it's like it can be sourced from mushrooms, but it's, it, it's interesting because it's used in like for in, like we use glucose uh, for glycolysis, uh, but insects, they like, you know, they, they do incredible things with their body. Like they can flap their wings really fast, the flies and stuff, and the ants can lift up a ton of stuff. So they actually use trailose instead of glucose because it's two glucose uh, molecules bound together. So they get, they need that additional energy. And so there has to be, I mean, there has to be some kind of latent uh, genetic code that because like our a lot of primates eat lots of ants they eat lots of bugs and stuff like that and you know probably our ancestors ate a lot of them too and there's probably some some ancient code in there that when we eat trailos some amazing things happen it's neuroprotective it prevents the breakdown of muscle lean tissue so if you eat it after a workout it's really good um, and uh, it's one of my favorite sugars. I, I, I support trehalose wholeheartedly. I'm envisioning our listeners uh, dosing trehalose and, and trying to become like Ant-Man, the, uh, <laughs> the, su- the superhero. <laughs> it, it works. It, it works. does. You just, but you nice. need a cape. That's what most people forget. <laughs> it doesn't work without the cape. Right. Or, wait, so, did, Ant-Man didn't have a cape. Never no, mind. he just he put on the suit and like shrunk down. Um, all right. <laughs> So we we are this is 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 going to be a long podcast. I am not going to try to shorten this one because we still have a lot of topics that I want to cover. Um, so you guys have mentioned um, lipopolysaccharides a couple of times. 
Um, let's talk a little bit about what those are. And uh, I, I feel like that's something that nobody talked about until about three months ago. And now all of a sudden, it's like a new buzzword in, <laughs> in, in our like in our sphere of biohacking and ancestral health. Um, so can you explain to us what those are and, and why all of a sudden people are talking about them? Well, I started an endotoxin series, I don't know, like a year and a half ago. Yeah, when did I start long, that? It had to have been at least two years. I mean, Hooper and I have been talking about them for a long time now. I was um, just wanting to know why, because for me, like the way my brain works is um, I'm more process oriented. So I need to know the reason behind something. To me, that's more important than the solution. Yeah. So if you come up with a different answer than me, that doesn't really concern me so much. Like it's the process and the rationale. So we were noticing these trends in gut health and we were noticing all this stuff. And, and, and so I was trying to figure out like, what is the actual biochemical uh, mechanism for what's occurring? Why is this happening? Uh, And so all of it started relating back to endotoxin, particularly a certain class of endotoxin called LPS and and so we've been we've been on to LPS. I, I don't, we weren't the first ones on to LPS, yeah. obviously, because it's been written about for a long time, and just people who are you know who are in this field know about it. But I think it's just starting to cut into sort of the mainstream a little bit more. I think um, like uh, I don't I don't know where where did you hear it from, Ryan? Where where did you first hear about uh, LPS? I, I think somewhere in the last few months, I've seen both Ben Greenfield and uh, Chris Kelly on the Nourish Balance Thrive podcast have both um, featured it or, or talked a little bit about it. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, that, that'd be interesting to see like why it's becoming mainstream, but it's extremely important yes. because LPS, the LPS, that's it, it's it's what is causing our immune system to modulate. It is a it, it's shaped a certain way that makes our immune system react to it. And and because our immune system's reacting to it, it, it can create inflammation. It can create all these problems. It can create water retention. It, it's, it's, uh, it, it's sort of what's doing the damage. The bacteria themselves are not doing the damage that it's these toxins that they're emitting. So we, we, you guys have probably heard about mycotoxins from the Bulletproof podcast and from Dave. LPS is sort of like the bacterial version of mycotoxins, right? So it's like they're, what they are doing to, to cause their damage. So one of the things that, that I found was really interesting in, in doing some research on it, um, it is in, in clinical settings, uh, one of the treatment protocols to reduce levels of this endotoxin is actually colostrum. Colostrum kills this particular endotoxin. We actually wrote about this in a newsletter recently. We'll put a link to that in the show notes for you guys. Correct. And, you know, Hooper is right about LPS as being main, you know, they're mainly from grand, only from grand negative bacteria as far as LPS is concerned. But it, it, it's these reactions that we have. And depending on the actual gram negative bacteria, uh, they produce specific LPS um, endotoxins that our body reacts different way to depending on the bacteria itself. And, and you know, and Ryan's right, you know, if someone has a you know, issues with club Ciella and their, 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 their body's uh, immune reactions are attacking the endotoxins that club Ciella produces and, and doing so are attacking collagen formant- formant- uh, formation in the, the spine and, or in the joints, you know, taking collagen itself, 
um, has been shown to help alleviate a lot of symptoms that people have. It may reduce the TH1 reactions. It may reduce inflammation. It may increase bifidobacterium in the gut, which may may compete with the Klebsiella um, and so forth and so on. So it seems to me that you know there are there are ways um, to reduce. Um, the gram-negative overgrowth so that less LPS and the toxins produced, the body reacts to it less, reduce the reactions to the inflammatory cytokines like TH1 by using curcumin, for example, to reduce inflammation, or even, you know, help facilitate the body's um, production of collagen, you know, if you're suffering from Klebsiella to help relieve some of the rheumatoid arthritis symptoms that a lot of people have. I mean, they used to use... Uh, Jello, uh, the gelatin itself. There yeah. were pe- people were using it as a remedy, uh, an old time remedy to help with arthritis, mm-hmm. and that's why. Right, and, and that's I think something that's become lost. And you know, if you were to eat Jello now, it would actually be devoid of Correct. the thing that once made it a powerful healer. All right, so this is all fascinating and really interesting, guys. Um, are there any other? gut-friendly foods that we haven't talked about before we uh, go on our final uh, topic for the day? I, w- I would say that just getting a lot of diversity in the diet is is important too. Um, I think when a lot of people start a diet or whatever, you know, they go and they find a website and they're like, I'm going to do this diet, or I'm going to do that diet. And there's a lot of great diets out there but they tend to limit their the food that they choose. Like if they're doing a paleo type diet, they're going to be eating a lot of grass fed beef, uh, a lot of broccoli. You know, they might be eating six or seven different foods, and they do that for a couple of you know months or so. You know, and and they don't really branch out from that. So they start to create dysbiosis. You know, they start to create an imbalance in the gut because there's not enough diversity. If you think about how people lived before the time where you can get fruit year round and you can get like stuff shipped from all over, uh, the world. Um, you know, we ate seasonally. So if, you know, if you, if you eat what's in season right now, if you have your own garden, if you're eating locally, you know, you get buying stuff from the farmer's market, you're going to do better because you're shifting, you're shifting your food sources, your, your food sources is shift. Your food sources are shifting with, Mm -hmm. uh, the, the weather too. So the external environment, you know, for those of you who uh, go outside, which I, I recommend, uh, and aren't inside all day, uh, you're going outside. You're exposed to lots of wild yeast, wild bacteria, whatever, and those change seasonally too. So you're more in balance. This sounds kind of kind of hippie or whatever, but like you, you're more in, in in balance with the circadian rhythm of the earth because yeah. you're eating what's there, and and so you're making things happy. But if you're eating something from Australia or New Zealand, you know, you're eating uh, stuff from, from there, like it's their summertime when it's our winter time. So it's, it's causing a problem because you're, you're getting, you're getting uh, certain LPS toxins, certain mycotoxins and stuff that are not in season for what environment we should be dealing with. And that, that's creating a lot of problems. Yeah. So, Dr. Josh Axe writes, a, talks a lot about that in his book, Eat Dirt and everything. And I agree, Jason, with that wholeheartedly. Yeah. And I think the one thing I'll, you know, Jason, you can rest assured you will not be the most hippie sounding person we've ever had on the show. So, so you're, <laughs> you're safe there. And, and that's, right, that's, that's okay. There's nothing wrong with it. We love it. Yes. Um, but, and I think one of the things that you're talking about, as you were going through that answer, I think for our listeners, one of the best ways that you can do exactly what uh, Hooper just said was, you know, join a local CSA, find a farm, 
that yeah. uh, implements the protocols and practices that that you find mm. acceptable. You know, whether that's organic or or grass fed or whatever. I mean, obviously, you know, you know, you're familiar with our standards here uh, at, at the Optimal Performance Podcast. But you know, you have your own standards, whatever they may be, um, and, and join a local CSA because you know that's a really good point that, that Hooper made. Was that you know, today we can walk out, we can buy blueberries any time of year. Um, that has not always been the case. And the only reason we're able to do that now is because things are, you know, frozen and shipped and sent from other places. And, you know, if you join the CSA, you're eating, uh, that's a community supported agriculture. And basically, if you're not familiar with it, you pay a monthly fee and whatever is harvested that month comes to a collection center. You go and you pick up your box and you have, you know, a whole bunch of, uh, you know, local fresh produce and you're forced to eat seasonally. Um, so that would definitely be a, a great way to get started with eating seasonally if you don't know how to do that. Uh, That's a great recommendation. Yes, 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 yeah. it is. And, and at the same time, you're supporting local, uh, real farmers and people yep. that you know. And we've had Joel Salatin on the show twice and, and both times he said, you know, look, just go buy local and, and you may be the reason that that farmer, you know, most of these farmers are three to six customers away from being able to leave their day job and doing full time, you know, this, this thing that we're all so passionate about. So you may be the reason that, that they're able to, you know, go all in and go full time with this thing. So, um, support the local economy and, and do that. So, um, all right, uh, guys, we talked a little bit about doing this and, and I know, um, we both, uh, have some very strong or all three of us have some very strong feelings against, uh, the product that is being marketed as, uh, food engineered for the future. Uh, I think, I think engineered is, is a key word. I think it's, yes. I think it's very interesting that they actually, um, uh, they don't hide from that. They actually uh, embrace that and use that as a marketing strategy, which we'll talk about. But, um, uh, if you're not familiar with, with what we're hinting at listeners, uh, we're not fans of Soylent and, uh, I, I want to get some expert opinions from, from both John and Jason on, you know, why Soylent is, uh, not something that we should be leaning on for our future. Um, and, uh, you guys also have a great blog post on this. We'll link to it, uh, in the show notes. Uh, so if you guys are listening, if you want to read more about, uh, some of this stuff, make sure you go to naturalstacks.com and you'll be able to see the uh, links and resources to some of the studies and blog posts that we're mentioning. So, uh, guys, Soylent, go. My biggest problem with Soylent is the philosophy behind it. Um, it like it, it's getting us further away from nature and more into this man-made sort of environment. Uh, you know, like the all dogs come from the gray wolf, right? Mm -hmm. they, they have basically the same genetics. They've just been cultivated and bred, you know, into like little things. So you had this dog that you had this big, great uh, gray wolf. And then you have this little chihuahua. Right. And how did how did a gray wolf become a chihuahua? Well, they, you know, they bred it out and they did all this stuff. They changed its environment to get it in this little pathetic dog that could not fend for itself in the wild. And we're doing that to ourselves as human beings. We are encaging ourselves. We're 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 trapped in these office buildings. We're under artificial lights. Yep. And now we're taking away, you know, before it was like, hey, don't eat so much fast food. Well, at least fast food like, oh, it's got like less than tomato on my burger, you know, instead like it's got beef. But now it's like soylent, okay? So 
a hundred percent artificial, like just, we're going to take all this junk and just kind of like what the the founder of Soylent's like, what do we need to, to, to live? Okay. We need a little bit of protein. We need fat, we need carbohydrates, we need some nutrients. All right, I'll put it into a shake and we'll eat it. And these people that are attracted to Soylent, like they just don't have time to chew their food. They don't have time to, to savor and digest it. Um, I think it was like Orson Welles that wrote like uh, in the future, they're going to create like a pill that you take and you won't have to eat anymore. But, and he, but he said, even Orson Welles said that like, there's no way anybody would do it because we enjoy the experience of eating. Yes. Well, I guess Soylent proved him wrong um, <laughs> because like you just shake it up and, and, and just slam it because you don't have time to, you're so busy, you know, like you're so, what are you so busy with? Like free up a little bit of time to cook some food and eat it. Like what? What's you know? That's that's my biggest issue with it is just the philosophy of it. it of course, it's it's not as good for you as eating whole food. Of course, it's not no. that. But but the thing is, like the reason why they're successful is because you get these computer programmers or these office type people, and they just want to code eighteen twenty hours a day. And you know they don't they don't take showers, they don't do anything. They just kind of like type 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 type, and then uh, how how long is somebody going to do that? And you know what what's going to happen to your health after? After years and years of this, it's just it's not a good it's not a good deal. So we'll get into like the the ingredient specifics in just a second, but but I think you just touched on something. I mean, the reality of the situation is that it is an attractive solution for uh, a lot of people who you know face that issue of it, it's portable, it's convenient, it's easy, it's quick. You know, what would be the healthy alternative? Um, you know, if, if you could grab that person by the collar and say, stop drinking this Soylent, do this instead, what should they do instead? Cook. <laughs> Get well, some yeah. food but but I mean, if, if, if you've got a coder who's not into health and, and they're not going to do that, like what, what would be a, a good alternative? And we've had people ask us all the time, you know, when they come up with knockoffs that are better than Soylent, you know, hey, this is slightly better than Soylent, you know, is this better for, you know, better to eat and stuff like that? And I'm like, well, I mean, it is in theory, yes, but, you know, I understand in this hectic lifestyle that not everybody could take care of themselves and stuff like that. And I definitely agree with Jason's counter argument to that is your health should be your most important. You need to take care of yourself first before you do anything else. Um, and I agree with that, you know, I'm not going to say that's not wrong but i'm guessing you know it, it, let's say if there's no other you're, you're so rushed through during the day and you have no other alternative then i mean there's a better way of doing it i mean you could theoretically mix you know good quality grass-fed whey protein you know adds adds you know some local you know fruit that's grown if all possible um you know some local vegetables to that um, you know, and just drinking that yourself, a little bit of smoothie would be way more um, nutrient wise than Soylent. I mean, we can even talk about, you know, the vitamin and minerals in Soylent aren't nearly the most optimal kind for artificial, you know, vitamins. And even some can be harmful like DL, vitamin E or synthetic vitamin E where all the negative studies you ever seen linked to vitamin E as far as prostate cancer were all done on the DL or synthetic version of vitamin E and not the natural tofurol version of vitamin E um, and stuff like that. It's like when I, I my, my grandfather's a pharmacist and he says, well, you know, I used to sell um uh what's that uh famous uh, multivitamin that everybody goes to get citrum yes yeah. and I'd actually argue that it's worse for people to take citrum than it is to not take citrum I've I've always yeah. said that and I actually you know I stopped taking it in college when I figured that out and I've told people people always ask me like what multivitamin should I take and like, in most cases you're better off not taking one 
That is yeah. correct. That is that in is in the nursing the homes. They call them bedpan bullets because <laughs> people start taking those, and uh, they usually don't live too long afterwards. Nope. All that oxidated iron that they're ingesting, and synthetic vitamin E, and everything else, and and folic acid. That's what you're getting in this soylent concoction. You're yeah. getting the worst for nutrition and the worst vitamins, cheapest vitamins that you can throw into a concoction. It's like the worst of the worst. So. Um, John, can you email me uh, those vitamin E studies and we'll make yes. sure that we can include those in the uh, blog post with the show notes here so people can yeah, kind of go down that rabbit hole? Yes. They're also in the article. Like uh, there's some footnotes in the article where it talks okay. about hey, – you've heard of the MTHFR gene, right? I'm sure Correct. that's that's on your radar and a lot of people listening probably know it. So there are some genetics – that, that we have that deal with methylation. Methylation provides a lot of keys to the epigenetic uh, cofactors that go on in our body. So if something is methylated, it has a strong, the gene has a stronger chance of being expressed. If it's not methylated, then it won't, or if it's acetylated, then, you know, has, it's sort of like an, an inhibited. And so you cannot just custom, just, just go and grab B vitamins and start taking them you need to know your methylation value. You need to know uh, how you methylate, and that's how you choose. If you're going to take synthetic B vitamins, that's what you need to yep. do. Now, All right. hold on, hold on. Now, hold on. in nature, okay, okay. We've had a couple of people, like big name scientists and big names in the industry, talk about this gene on our show before, and I don't yes. think anybody has explained it so easily uh, understood as you just did, Hooper. So, well done. Thank you for that. And a, yeah, quick, man, and, so. and a quick question, if okay. people wanted to find out uh, their methylation status, how do they figure that out? I just do 23 and me. And then run, like, it, run it through Live Whaleo or any of the, co- yeah. the the components to that to get their methylation status, their COMT genes or MRA genes, MTHFR and all the rest of them. Beautiful. Um, yeah. That's what most of my clients who do who come to me, they run it through Live Whaleo or, or um, this uh, self-hack, Joe Cohen's one I have. Uh, the decode yeah. self decode that he has either one of those work very well. Okay, Joe was one uh, one of our first episodes of the, the yeah. That's cool. yeah, I'm a fan of Joe's work and he, him and I are on friendly terms and stuff like that. His work is very important. I respect Joe a lot. Yeah. So yeah. Hooper, continue. I didn't mean to cut yeah. you off. But. No, 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 it's no problem. So, like, okay, naturally speaking, you're eating when you eat vitamin B5. You're eating folate, mm-hmm. right? That's the natural form you do not find folate in a supplement. Like if it says folate, they're lying. That's not in there. So you can get folic acid or you can get methylfolate. So folic acid is the unmethylated version. The methylfolate has a methyl group attached to it. So if you're under methylating and you have like, let's say you're, you're, uh, you're homozygous for the, for the MTHFR defect, you can be prescribed high, a high dose of methylfolate, which carries extra, it carries, you know, the, that extra methyl group to the folic acid, which will then in turn help you methylate because your genes are not, you know, your genes are not set up to do that appropriately. So whether or not you decide to take folate or methylfolate depends on your specific genetics. Correct. Uh, and, and so the s- same thing with like B12, a lot of these other b- vitamins too, the forms, if you're going to take synthetic forms, uh, you should, you should try to, uh, f- well, you should figure out 
how your genes are working, find the form that's best for you, and then and then take that. But yeah, and that's that's the problem with like a lot of these multivitamins, why they they are killing people and shortening people's lifespans, or for this you know for this reason uh, and, and and others, it's it's just hard on their bodies. They're not they're hurting themselves more than they're helping them, and their bodies are having to overcompensate, and that that takes a toll. They're having a problem with methylation, either over methylation, under methylation, and like Hooper said, you know, vitamin B nine being folate. You know, if you if you're an over methylator and you take folate, like for myself, it gives me massive headaches. I feel horrible, and you know, vitamin B twelve relies on MTHFR, relies on v- VDR knowledge, it relies on COMT knowledge. You know, and depending on what you are, for example, for me, I need a blend of both adenosylcobalamin and hydroxylcobalamin instead of taking methylcobalamin because methylcobalamin makes me feel horrible, it gives me a horrible headache. I just feel very badly on it, you know. And that's why I, you know, I don't recommend people take multivitamins without this knowledge. Anybody who comes to me and says, "Oh, what's the best multivitamin to take?" I'm, I, you know, I, I do have a multivitamin post on Fix Your Gut, and I do break down what I believe are the best ones. But even on that post, I say, "Hey, look, unless you know your methylation status." It's probably not a good idea to supplement with these until you understand that because they can, you know, carm you in a lot of ways, you know, and then Hooper has stated, you know, for most people, you know, the folate that we get in foods is not going to have the same effect as if we down, you know, a whole bunch of, uh, uh, five methylfolate, um, you know, and, and if you're an overmethylator, and if you're undermethylator, you need it, um, you know, and, you know, for folic acid, for example, you know, depending on your methylation status, you know, it, for most people, it's useless. You don't get any benefit from taking, or a very low benefit, should I say, of taking folic acid, you know, and the B12 that they use in soylent, they don't even list what it is. My guess is cyanocoblab, which is the worst form as far as absorption, and it leaves a little present of a little bit of cyanide behind uh, through metabolism and everything. Thing and it's just that they took the worst, and I and I'd love to talk about too uh, in a minute about um, you know Ryan the, the 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 actual ingredients in Soylent as far as what makes it up itself and how it's horrible for the gut, right. um, you know, outside of the vitamins, they just pick right. the worst. They pick yeah. the worst stuff that you could throw together and say this is what the future of man will drink. You know, when we're out in space to survive on. And I'm like, yeah, you're well, not going to survive very long, right? No, and, and clearly, clearly, it's 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 done for profit. I mean, they, yes. they've chosen the 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 cheapest, easiest to manufacture and bottle ingredients. And, and yep. like you said, it's, it's, it's also the ones that are the most detrimental to our health. And they're saying they're, they're preying on, you know, the fact that look in our society, like we just mentioned, we're all looking for convenience and, and ease of use and, and speed. So it's like, Hey, here's this solution, blah, blah, blah. They're, and it's clearly a, a, a marketing and, and a business thing. And they don't really care about the future of mankind and, and the public health. Um, you know, the, some of their arguments are, you know, the, the sustainability of, of meat and soy. We've debunked that with, yes. with Joel Salatin <laughs> and, and farming practices. And, and we've had uh, Taylor Collins, the founder of, co-founder of Epic Bars. We've talked at length about uh, farming practices and, and that stuff on, on other episodes. So if you guys want to dig into that, go back and listen to some of those episodes. Um, you know, some of the other things, I mean, we all know soy is, is not the optimal choice for, for a protein source. Yeah. Um, you know, if you guys want to touch on that, you can, I don't know that we need to, I think that's kind of over egging the omelet. Um, but, but I think I want to look at one ingredient specifically that, that I'm starting to see in several other products as well. Uh, and you guys actually mentioned, um, when, when I think John, when you were talking earlier about, um, extra virgin olive oil, there, there is some benefit to, uh, oleic acid. Um, but 
the you're seeing one of the ingredients in Soylent is high oleic content, uh, sunflower and safflower yeah. oils. There is another ketogenic supplement coming out. Uh, I don't think it actually has a trade name yet, uh, but I have been contacted by uh, these people and, and they're supposed to be sending me some samples to try. Um, I'm actually hesitant to even put it in my body because one of the ingredients, uh, several of the ingredients actually are questionable. One of them uh, is this high oleic um, sunflower oil, safflower oil. And, and when I pressed them in a phone call on it, the, the, the response was that because of that high oleic content, it responds in the body as a medium chain triglyceride. Um, mm -hmm. I, I, yeah, <laughs> it does not. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I, my point was, you know, why not just use an actual MCT oil? Yeah, and, why not? Right. Well, here's and the obviously, deal. Yeah, it's, it's because it's money. cheaper. Right. Yeah, it's, right. But oleic acid is a great fat. In fact, you yes. know, like it has some... Uh, it has a lot of anti-inflammatory properties, and, and it's good. We should have a, probably a third of your fat calories should be coming from monounsaturated fats, oleic acids, monounsaturated fats, a good form of it. Now, when we have high oleic peanut oil, high oleic sunflower oil, naturally, this is not going on. You know, Naturally, right. we have a higher uh, N6 content with the polyunsaturated, right. like uh, linoleic acid, um, uh, so why, so, so are these like quote unquote designer oils that are coming out? Um, how are they getting these contents? Are they doing it by selective breeding? Are they doing it by filtration? A lot of it's, um, a lot of it is that like, basically you get, you know, sunflowers that come out and they're like, okay, well, we, we want to make vitamin E, we want to make cosmetic products. So they take all the good stuff out of it. They yep. strip it from, from all of its good nutrients and stuff. And then what's left over is like the silic acid kind of sludge left over. And they're like, all right, let's throw it into a, a protein bar. <laughs> you know, let's throw it into <laughs> some soylent. Um, and so like you're getting the crap left over that nobody else wants. Yeah. I mean, if you took, I mean, if you took straight high olic selective breeded peanut oil or sunflower oil, for example, sunflower specifically, and you never, you know, you kept it refrigerated, you kept it from light, you know, it wasn't used hexane to strip the oil, you know, occasional adjusting of the oil itself may be beneficial because of the high vitamin E content, um, you know, because of the oleic acid that's in this, the, this, the, the oil itself. The problem is, is when you take these supplements, you're not getting that. Right. And you're, you're yeah, getting and what's you're left getting, over. And, and, you're and a lot of these amounts that are out of balance. Correct. Like, yeah, the, 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 so, yeah. And why is there vitamin E in sunflowers? Well, it's protecting the sunflower kernel. When that thing is going to develop into a plant, you know, it's going to germinate and develop into a plant. These, uh, you know, we, we need we need these antioxidants in there to help absorb some of the electrons from oxidation that's going through that process. Now, when you isolate the other fats and you take out all of the nutrients that are supporting those fat structures, because the fats the are there, the fats are there for energy. They're there to help the plant grow. And it's a very, and fats are very energy dense. So that's why they're in the, in, in the germ, in the seed. So when you isolate it and then you take out the stuff that's protecting it, you end up with, you know, you end up with uh, oxidized fats, yeah. and and that can be that can be bad. Now, mono, now here's how you test for this, okay? And you can do this at home if you want to do your at home test kit. You can go out to the store and you can buy some one of these designer oils. You can buy, um, you know, one of these hyaluronic peanut oils from from you know, I don't know, like what do they sell? Like a Trader Joe's or someplace. Spectrum I don't know. sells one. Yeah, so go there, okay, and just take it. Now it's monosaturated, so it should be. Should be liquid at room temperature. Correct. Mm -hmm. It is. 
So just take a, take a little bit of it, heat it up in a frying pan, just heat it up a little bit, put into a glass cup, and then store it in your refrigerator for, I don't know, overnight. The next morning you wake up, you look at it, you're going to look at it, you're going to see these dissolved solids. Or you're going to see these, uh, I'm sorry, undissolved solids. You're going to see like junk floating around in there. Well, what is that junk? Well, what's happened is um, it's no longer like it's no longer in this monounsaturated form. It's now been oxidized. And so they've sort of been, since they're oxidized, it changes. The, so fats are normally, um, they're normally hyd- hydrophobic. So they're not afraid of water, but they're repelled by water, right? Oil and water don't mix. And so when, when you just heat it up just a little bit to cook with it, it which a monounsaturated, if it has all the, all the antioxidants and, and terpitols and stuff in it, should be able to handle the heat just fine. But now you get all this junk floating up. So now it's creating other bonds with other stuff and it's creating, uh, it's act, it's behaving, parts of it behaving more of like a saturated fat, which is, you know, which is going to solidify like butter or coconut oil or something like that. So you can tell the fat's been damaged. So if you don't believe what I'm saying, try it yourself at home. It's it's just not a good fat when, when you take out that stuff. You do the same thing with olive oil. You can heat that stuff up pretty hot and do the same experiment. It doesn't it doesn't do that because olive oil is loaded with antioxidants. That's interesting. So, I would uh, I would love to have some of our listeners try that and send us some pictures. Uh, I'm definitely going to try it too. So uh, that's cool. Uh, thanks. Thanks for sharing that, Hoover. Um, yeah, no, no problem. It's a science experiment that you can do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, um, you know, I think I think the takeaway here is, I mean, you know, look, we've had uh, all kinds of anti-aging experts on the show before. And, and, you know, reducing oxidative stress, reducing inflammation is a common thread in improving performance now and improving longevity. Uh, in improving health, um, you know, whether it was Dr. Andrews or Dr. Russell Jaffe, whoever it was on the show, um, you know, all of these guys said similar things. And I think the point that we're trying to make here with Soylent is, you know, look, why would you make a food choice that everything in it is, is, is bad for you and, 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 and is, is increasing oxidative stress, is increasing inflammation. And, you know, no, that's, that's not the future that I want to choose for myself. And, you no. know, no, thank you. And please stop marketing it as, as such. Um, do you guys have any other issues with uh, Soylent that we haven't talked about? Um, well, I'd like just, to talk about its effect on the gut real quick. Yeah. Um, I mean, the ingredients themselves, I mean, the maltodextrin, maltodextrin itself, a lot of bodybuilders use it as a quick source of glucose, and it works fine. It has a high glycemic index, you know, and That's, occasional use of it's fine. Don't get me wrong, but when you're drinking, you know, too much of it or, you're, you know, you're ingesting a lot of it for soylent as its primary sugar, you know, you're feeding these gram-negative bacteria that hang up, hang out in the upper gut microbiome. So, for example, if you have H. pylori overgrowth and you're ingesting all this maltodextrin, you're not going to feel too well. You know, it's That's the start. number one ingredient in soylent. Yes. And that's, yes. that's, I mean, maltodextrin is something that anytime I read an ingredient list, if I see maltodextrin, maltodextrin I move on. I, I, don't, and, I don't put that in my body. And it's, it's cheap. It's yeah. also derived from GMO corn in a lot of cases. Right. Um, Especially in the like case of, of Soylent where they yes. advertise. I mean, and we haven't even talked about that yet is – you know, they, they are pro GMO. They advertise that they use GMOs and, you know, they use that as, you know, quote unquote, a marketing plus or benefit. Um, you know, but, but like you said, a lot of bodybuilders will use maltodextrin or something similar to spike insulin. I mean, maltodextrin itself is insulinogenic. Um, you know, so, so if you're on a low carb diet or, or if you're in a ketogenic diet, I mean, that's something that you want to be on the lookout for anyway. 
Correct. And I mean, generally, I don't uh, advocate for its ingestion, you know, for, for most people, um, you know, because of that, you know, and then we get into the, the, the using isomalt oligosaccharide as, as, as a prebiotic and isomalt itself, it's not, you know, a prebiotic that tends to, to, to deal a lot, you know, as far as having overgrowth issues. Yeah, but um, if that's how you're drinking. But yeah, that's the right. problem. You're and drinking on, at breakfast, lunch and dinner for yep, months on end. Yeah, that's not good. That right? isn't good. And we don't know what opportunistic bacteria it really deals with because you well, know we're for gonna in, find out well we're gonna yeah because for inulin you know inulin is good you know for for some people within moderation but even then inulin has been you know could set off club ciella um you know and there's in clostridium and so there's certain opportunistic overgrowth you know depending on the person that inulin can cause problems with you know but with oligos you know osmod oligosaccharide we have no clue we don't know. We know it feeds bifido, which is good and increases short-chain fatty acid production. But as far as its effect on the microbiome, as far as the opportunistic bacteria, you know, we have no idea. Um, you know, and also it's mainly derived from gluten. Um, you know, from from wheat, should I say? So, you know, is there a possibility that there's there's a gluten um, contamination within isomalt? Possible. Um, you know, so you have to throw in that as well. You know, and then you have you know the, the rice starch and the oat fiber. You know, oats containing um, avenin, which is a peptide opioid peptide similar to gluten. So, some people with celiac disease and issues like that may might not be able to tolerate the oat fiber that's in soylent. You know, and then after we have all those problems together, the the final coup de gras that we add in is we got some good old sucralose or splenda. Um, added to it as well. So, you know, it just might as well just go ahead and just, just go ahead and kill off the rest of your microbiome. If you're chugging, you know, three of the, three of these a day, you know, it's just, uh, it's just or four, I think well, yeah. or four. Yeah. Maybe, I think they recommend four. Maybe yeah. it's, it's like you said earlier, where this is really just a ploy to, uh, you know, since they advertise it as the future of humanity, they're just trying to kill off people and control the population. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I mean, if you, I, if you actually research what's going on with the population, though, like population's actually declining, and and uh, you know they're like in Japan, they sell more adult diapers than they sell baby diapers. Yeah, it, like the population's declining worldwide. It, so we don't have that. We don't really have that issue. We don't have to like the world is sustainable. Yes, um, it is and, very much and, so. And so, like, we don't have to make these like powdered astronaut drinks. Um, <laughs> You know, like we, that, that's not, that's not a real thing. I grow food in my backyard. I got ducks. I got, I mean, if you look at my window, I got ducks. I got a vegetable garden. I have a family of four. Yeah. I supplement from the farmer's market and stuff, but if I had to, I don't, I mean, I live in a regular neighborhood. Like I, I don't live on like a farm or anything. It's like, you could grow your own food and be just fine. Yeah. And, and so like, it's, it's. Here, here's the deal, Ryan. You got you have a lot of guests that come on your show, and they might contradict each other. You know, and they might give different recommendations or whatever. But ultimately, people coming on your show, they seem to care about people, and they want people to do better with their lives. Right? They want people to be better with their bodies. Maybe they're into athletics. Maybe they're into eating right or something. But you, when you talk to them, you get a sense that they care about people and they want them to perform better. And so th their their advice comes from the heart. Now, do you get that same feeling from Soylent? When somebody's telling you, like, yeah, eat all this, like, artificial stuff, and uh, supposedly this is going to be more sustainable and good for the environment, do you feel like those people are trying to make you better? Do you feel like they give a crap about you? No. Do they, they feel like that's going to help you uh, in your life, be a healthier person? Is it going to help your brain work well, your body work well? Are you going to be emotionally balanced and be able to deal with relationships? Or are you going to be this like reclusive, isolated person in a cubicle, just being a slave for the rest of your life for 18 hours a day, just like type, type, type on the keyboard? Like it, it's, it's totally 
totally contrary to most health advice that you're given on any on any podcast, any blog out there. It should be obvious to most people that this is not what you should be doing. That's Let's say you go to a, a zoo, right? And we're looking at exhibits and you're like, okay, what should a grown bear look like? And they say, okay, the male grizzly bear should be 600 pounds. You know, what should the human exhibit look like when you go, when like, let's say you went to the zoo and there's a human exhibit. Should we be these like frail, uh, you know, little tiny creatures that just can't seem to live outdoors can't or do anything. Sunlight. <laughs> yeah, you can't go out in the sun. You can't. You're allergic to everything. You know, if you eat a peanut, you have anaphylaxis and die. Like, like, uh, you know, that's that's immunomodulatory. That's from the gut. You know, like you're those. You, that's what's going to happen. I mean, that's that's like uh, what what's supposed to happen. You look at it, and you see, and, and you you're reading like the little side notes on one adult. Human male should be able to do. Adult human female should be able to do. What should they look like? Should an adult human male be two hundred pounds? Should they be able to deadlift five hundred pounds? Anybody, anybody on this planet can go out, go to a gym, get a gym membership, go make yourself healthy, and do that. Like, go outside, eat real food, be a human yep. being. Don't be uh, a cultivar of a human being. Don't be like the Chihuahua that, that the gray wolf was. Be the gray wolf. You know what I mean? And that's our problem with our modern lives now is so it's now expanding. You know, they're expanding into their own coffee drink, you know, mm-hmm. to try to get on board with, you know, drinking coffee and everything with bulletproof coffee or caveman coffee. You know, they're trying to get on that as well. You know, now their their biggest newest thing that I saw that came in my email was a bar that they developed. And the first ingredient of the bar is so soy protein isolate. Why not grass fed protein? You know, because I I know because cost, you know, obviously, but why are your main ingredients going to be soy protein and corn syrup as a, as your main sweetener? I mean, just come on. Yeah. It's just yeah. you know, and then you know, like yeah, it's you cheap. know it's it's cheap. That's I cool. I will give them a little bit of credit. They they switched to using algae um, instead of using sunflower oil and their newest yeah. products and so forth and so on, which is slightly better. But even that, I'll say that they're probably using the crude uh, algae uh, oils and, and stuff like that that are hexane stripped instead mm-hmm. of the, the more better ones that are that are don't use hexane that you would get, for example, if you were a vegan and you decided to take an algae supplement for your DHA and you would take Nordic Naturals, you know, that would be the criminal or clem of, 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 of algae oil, you know, the soil is probably not using that, um, you know, and it, it's sad, you know, looking at this bar, looking at the ingredients, you know, you're your 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 top four ingredients are soy protein isolate, corn syrup, oats, and canola oil. It yeah. doesn't get any worse than that. It's yeah. just it's it's horrible. And and I think the the frustrating thing for for us is that I mean I think they they really had an opportunity to to advance this thing. And it's like yes. you said, Hooper. They you know a lot of our guests and a lot of people that that we gravitate towards in our field. Uh, in this movement are, are people who genuinely care and want to advance, you know, other people and, and society. And, and it's, it's pretty clear that that wasn't the motivation with Soylent. So, um, and, and in regards to, you know, the, the zoo exhibit thing, I, I love that. I'm sitting here like pumping my fist. I'm like, yeah, I'm like, let's, I'm ready to go be a gray wolf. Let's do it. You got me all fired <laughs> up. So I love it, that. Um, so guys, uh, let's, let's work towards wrapping this up. Um, okay. We'll get you guys to answer the final question that all of our guests answer in just a minute. Um, I actually just uh, just realized that in the beginning, uh, we encourage people to go listen or go leave us a review on iTunes. And if we read your review, then we'll hook you up with some Natural Stacks products. I actually forgot to read the reviews. Um, so 
Charlie Stahl says, uh, hey, loving the podcast, uh, going back through a few and really enjoying them. Uh, turned my wife and buddy on to your last episode, and they both really loved it. That was in an email, so Charlie, thanks a lot. Uh, Brooke Dimchuk says, hey, Ryan, just reaching out to say your show is amazing. So you guys, thanks for the feedback. Um, if you're listening and you love the show, please do like Charlie did, share it with other people who will benefit from what we're talking about. If you guys listening to this one, know somebody that's drinking Soylent, save their life, tell them to listen to this show. <laughs> um, go to iTunes, leave us a five-star review. Like I said, if we read it on the air, we'll hook you up with Natural Stacks products. Uh, all right. So guys, tell our listeners where they can find more of you. I know we said Fix Your Gut is the website. Anything else? Uh, Hooper and I also do a, a live stream on our, our YouTube channel. Um, as well, it's, you can go to fixturedgut.com and, and get the link for the YouTube. We also have a Facebook and a, a Twitter account, and I have a book on Amazon, Fix Your Gut. Um, I'm actually, my next book, Fix Your Mitochondria, which will be about mitochondrial health, uh, should be out uh, towards the end of this year um, and everything. And, and that's pretty much Hooper. Do you got anything else to add or anything? Yeah, we got uh, a forum on Fix Your Gut, so be a, you can be a part of our community too if you've got questions. Um, you can contact us there. And, uh, yeah, so that's where we are. Okay. I love the idea of the forum to kind of, you know, it, it, it helps gather more and more information and it helps share ideas and stuff. So, um, I think that's really cool that you guys are doing that. Uh, we will put links to all this stuff on the natural stacks, uh, blog post for this. So if you guys are listening, you want to go to any of these links and resources, um, we'll have that for you there. Um, the book, uh, Fix Your Mitochondria, sounds really intriguing. Would love to have you guys back on the show to talk about that when the book okay. comes out. Thank you, Ryan. Um, so yeah, we, can, we can talk about that and set that up down the road. Um, all right. Your top three tips to live optimal. And you guys can do three each. You can bounce it back and forth uh, however you want to do it. Um. We could do three each, I guess, Jason. Um, we're probably going to end up saying <laughs> we're probably end up we're probably going to end up being like, "Oh man, you stole mine," and have to think of other ones. But I think we can do it. <laughs> um, right. I guess I'll go first. My first is is to get more sunlight exposure. Um, we definitely needed to uh, counteract a lot of the circadian rhythm issues that we have as far as being exposed to non-native EMF and um, and uh, fluorescent lighting and so forth and so on. You know, so try to get that sunlight to increase endogenous vitamin vitamin D production, increased serotonin production by our body and dopamine production as well as nitrous oxide. It's very important for our health. You'll sleep better. You'll feel better. I definitely recommend to get it within reason. Nice. All right. Hooper, you want to go number one? Uh, number one for me would be to um, optimize your relationships, you know, your family, your friends, your coworkers, your customers, your bosses, whatever, just uh, be a good person, you know, really work on those relationships. Humans are very social creatures. So, uh, you know, don't be isolated, secluded, just get out there and, and make good relationship with people. And I, I bet you'll find you're a lot happier when you do. All right. I like it. Um, meditate and relax as much as you possibly can. We and ground yourself as well, if possible, while doing it outside. Uh, we don't do it very much in our hectic cultures, and in doing so, our parasympathetic nervous system and our vagus nerve is not activated properly. So, in doing so, it harms our digestive health. It harms our our um, you know, the issues, the mental issues, and anxiety and depression increases that and everything. And you know, it's very, very important. You know, our bacteria also live off of those signals too and as well and you know, have a more healthier microbiome in your intestinal tract you de-stressed ever so often and ground as well 
um, you know, it can help out a lot, improve your sleep and improve how you feel as well. That's a really, really good one, John. Uh, for you guys listening, if you haven't heard the episode that we did with Dr. Raleigh Duncan, uh, that's the one that's uh, it's on saunas, but he talks a lot in that uh, particular episode about spending more time in the parasympathetic state. So um, definitely a good one to listen to. Uh, John, that was great. Thank you, Ryan. All right. Number two for me uh, is going to have to do with uh, self-improvement. So uh, if you're not trying to get better, you're probably going the other direction. So with everything that you're doing, try to find ways to improve. Keep pushing yourself. Keep going forward. I had a high school basketball coach that used to tell us, he says, you never stay the same. You get better or you get worse every day. Um, He's right. um, That's a really cool one, Hooper. Um, You guys are killing this. You got one more each. Okay. Um, I guess I'll go next. Um, magnesium. Um, it's one of the most depleted nutrients, um, that most people, you know, lack within their diet and it's the cause of a lot of problems, high blood pressure, diabetes. Um, you know, a lot of the modern illnesses that we have today, restless leg syndrome, um, all stem from a lack of magnesium. So magnesium supplementation is very important, uh, for one to correct one's health and for them to better themselves. All right. Well done. Hooper, last one? My last one is uh, focus on your positives. So uh, try to spend time when you're thinking, you know, we were talking earlier on the show about feeding the the good wolf and the bad wolf. Make sure that you're focusing on your strengths when you're you're up in your head thinking. You're thinking positively about yourself. Uh, Try to get to where 80% of your thoughts that you're thinking are about the good things that you're doing and because those bad thoughts can really take over. So make, make only 20 of those thoughts about stuff that you need to correct or that you're trying to work on, but try to stay positive about what you're doing and, and really, and really find your strengths and champion yourself for having those strengths. Awesome. Guys, this has been an incredible episode. We've covered a lot of ground. We, we went all kinds of science stuff. We went, uh, talked about Soylent. We talked about, wolves and, and mindset and you know self-improvement um this has been a blast i thank you guys for your time for your listener or for our listeners thank you guys for for sharing some time with us um yeah that's it guys thanks thank you yeah, Ryan, thanks very for much to everybody listening yes this yeah. is a fun time i, I appreciate your yes. energy and uh the, sh- the environment on your show is the awesome passion so that you have ryan i, ho- yes. I hope you i hope you invite us back I-, I will definitely do that for you guys listening thanks a lot for tuning in uh we'll catch up with you guys next thursday <laughs>